Thanksgiving, folks. We got lots of applause there, even in the background. Wow. Happy Thanksgiving, folks. It's 4 p.m. on Thursday, which, if it's Thanksgiving, that means this must be... So, folks, it's today we are live. We've got a really interesting show. Ray, however, and Kristen are taking the um, they're taking the live part of the day off. Uh, they're with their families. I got to eat with mine earlier today, hence the lateness of the show. Um, since it's Thanksgiving, I kind of want to start off with uh, the, you can see the live webcam in the background. Uh, we'll move this up here. And that's actually our live webcam from the back of the um, West Fine Office sunset slowly sunsetting over the Pacific. Um, who am I thankful for? What am I thankful for? Um, you can see some of the images on the scene of these are my grandkids. Um, when I figure, when I think about where the show came from um, and uh Seeing my co-host Ray Pillar a couple of weeks after his uh, beloved wife um, passed away, uh, decided I needed to do something, and we started Pillars of Franchising. Um, And it even continued through the massive heart attack I had uh, December 1st, almost two years ago, um, or it will be two years ago, in six days. One of some of the things I'm uh, thankful for are the people on the screen. You saw my partner, Michelle Rumpel, um, founder of West Pine. Um, there's a lot of good people in here. Brianne Cox, who was an early supporter, supporter and gave some of the best advice. Carol Kerwin, local SCORE chapter. Um, she's been phenomenal in helping us grow, been on the show. Uh, Francis Esters, the elegant tomboy. Her advice on camera angles and imaging has been phenomenal. And our favorite, uh, without him, you would not have the head-banging pillars of franchising uh, anthem, Greg Markels and Jean Gallagher. She's actually been uh, incredibly uh, supportive as we've gotten ready to launch the Million Dollar Plus Franchisee Mentor Program, which We'll have more details coming out, but that's kind of an early piece. Now that I've said that, I want to jump into um, our interview with Joseph Lerner, former Keller Williams franchisee. Uh, We're hoping Joseph will come in and join our team in some way to um, help represent the real estate industry. Take it away, friends. 
Happy Thanksgiving, folks. I'm here today with my favorite co-host, Ray and Kristen, and a very special guest on this weird Thanksgiving, Mr. Joseph Lerner. But first, Kristen, Ray, where are we and what's the weather like? And remember, this is Thanksgiving Day. So you're gonna... <laughs> well, I can't tell you it's 73.4 degrees here, can I? Because <laughs> you don't know what it's going to be like. But, uh, yeah, uh, I assume it's going to be maybe in the mid-30s, something like that. Hopefully uh, the weather will be fairly nice. But uh, since nobody's going anywhere, it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> Nope. Mm -mm. Kristen, who's channeling the Steelers and Beaker, I think. From... I'm hoping it's a nice, uh, cold. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know. Look at this. It keeps going in and out. I, I am what? hoping that it at least stays cold enough for Thanksgiving. This hair is kind of annoying, huh? <laughs> uh, at least stays cold enough for my ice rink to freeze in the backyard. There you go. <laughs> so, but Ray and I are both in the Chicagoland area. And uh, that probably means that most of you are in areas much warmer than this. We're hoping. <laughs> uh, yes, we are. And Can me, you it'll look like it'll probably look like this on Thanksgiving Day. Warm 70s, all that thing that Ray usually flips me off for. <laughs> well, my, my background is in, uh, I think it's August in Kakabeka Falls, Canada. Can we say that online? Never mind. So, Ray, why don't you introduce our guest? Certainly. Well, we'd like to uh, welcome Joseph Lerner to the show. And uh, we could start off with, where are you? And, uh, and then I'll give you a little deeper intro uh, after that. How's that? Certainly. No, it sounds great. So I'm here in sunny San Diego, California, about uh, 300 miles south of Fred. <laughs> Uh, you know, we average pretty much 72 and sunny every day. And, um, you know, we did have some rain a couple of days ago, but it quickly went away. Back to blue skies. It almost almost looked like somebody just swept up all the dust, and now everything just has that beautiful pop of extra color. And, and it's uh, a little crisp out here. It's like 65 right now. So we call that oh, crisp. <laughs> that's, that's a heat wave. Yeah. So as I look out the window, I can see the top of Joseph's hat in the distance. So good job. <laughs> you are in the top 10 hats list of 2020. Um, well, it's Thanksgiving. You got to have a lot of gratitude. So you got to wear a tall hat. There you Amen. go. Okay. Now that we've gotten pillars of weather and pillars of hats out of the way, take us away, Ray. Okay. Well, Joe is an experienced as a speaker, consultant, and coach within the real estate education technology startups, electronics, and consumer packaged goods industries. He has successfully started and grown many companies. Joe believes in creating an ever-expanding toolbox combined with demonstrating high performance, creating goal-oriented teams built upon clarity, and purpose. How's that sound, Joe? That describe you pretty well. I like well. I've got something you want to really accomplish. <laughs> well, tell, tell us a little bit more about yourself. So, in terms of uh, speaking and helping other people, 
I've always had a passion for giving back and getting engaged in different community events and different uh, nonprofit causes. And so my first career path actually started doing a lot of work with organizations like uh, National Multiple Sclerosis Society, groups like that, where you have to really coordinate teams of people to collaborate and drive in a certain direction. And fundamentally, they have to have a belief in something important to them to volunteer their time because Time is that one thing you just can't get back, regardless of how much money you have. And so, uh, you know, I found myself in the real estate field because I like diversity, change, and uh, people. Mm -hmm. And over time, developed and built a franchise with Keller Williams Realty and uh, did that for a number of years. And then as I exited that opportunity, I'm now working with a, a great group of guys, uh, building a company where we just focus on this concept of building great teams and helping companies that are service-based predominantly uh, understand that same concept of going from a, being a technician to working with others. Quick summary of my 50-year journey to today. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so. And so tell us, so how long ago did you exit or transfer the opportunity with Keller Williams? Was that fairly uh, recent or? In the last two years. Okay. And so uh, what I, we, we talk a lot about wealth determiners in our lives. The idea that the five people you surround yourself with sort of set the lid for what you can achieve. Mm -hmm. And so um, Gary Keller is a great teacher. The Keller Williams franchise model is really based on training you to run a business, not just to sell real estate, to, to think dynamically around what you want to achieve and understand sure. uh, not just the process of people, but actually having a strategy of where you're trying to get to and how to, how to build towards that. And uh, so at a certain point, my idea was um, build to a certain level and then get into business with people who are achieving at a higher level. And so as I moved through that journey, the uh, working with coaching people and helping grow their business, which is the same thing as when you bring a realtor in, wants to sell real estate, you gotta help them create a strategy, whether they're gonna pick up the phone and call people, knock on doors, start posting on social media, whatever it is they're gonna do, help them create a plan of action. And so my uh, transition plan there was to get somebody who's doing it at a higher level to come in, join me, and then either through the concept of passive income, give up the reins, so to speak, of the business and transition out over time. And uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting cultural piece because you wanna make sure that there's a really good alignment in terms of your vision of where the company is going when you bring other people in. And so that's, that was, it's an interesting experience from that concept because I built the business uh, truly based on, like I was sharing the nonprofit part of my being, uh, I approached it with the modest hierarchy of needs. There's food, clothing, and shelter at the foundation of everybody's needs. And so when you're in real estate, you're in the shelter business. And so even to today, we still are doing another food drive starting this next week uh, here in our community in San Diego because that's a fundamental right that every human being should have. We have the, the bounty of that. Uh, so in the process with the Keller Williams model, um, taking that approach, saying, hey, I'm gonna get into business with somebody who's doing this bigger, uh, that was the journey that led me to 
move on from Keller Williams into doing something on my own now or with uh, Birdflow. Awesome. Yeah. So we kind of got an inkling of why, but uh, Kristen and I were talking before the show, why do people want to divest themselves of a business? What are some of the reasons that you had and what advice would you give other people if they get to that point in the business and when should they start looking to either sell it or pass it on to their uh, family? Sure. So, so the concept of exit planning is something I help others with now, especially through the coaching. Um, personally, I probably could have planned it better in terms of how I did it because <clears throat> I have this control issue, which is why I like to start the business and, and run the business. And mm -hmm. as soon as you start to bring other people in, you have to succeed some of that control. Right. And so when you're doing that, you really need a plan of where you're trying to get to next. Um, so, so in regards to how to plan it or what, what the best way to do it is, if you're in a franchise model, the reason it's a franchise is the systems are there right. and they're working. And now, what they don't tell you in a franchise model is the millions of other variables, which are other people, other priorities that they may have and how that conflicts and butts head with what you're trying to achieve in your business. And so um, when I moved our offices from one location to another, literally during the build out period, there was a change in ownership in the building and it yeah. foundationally impacted everything I had planned. <laughs> and so as that happened, my stress level kept going, my hair level and hair color started changing. You know, all those pieces of, you know, five or six years worth of work that you could see progressing all of a sudden were, you know, the reins were sort of being pulled back and you were like, okay, I got to look around and reevaluate. So for me personally, that's what drove me to say, okay, this is not what I was intending to build. So let me find someone who succeeded at a different market at a different level, bring them into my world and see if we can't force correct to overcome some of the obstacles. And so that, that's how my personal journey went for, um, for others when it's a family, I always start with like when we had all the uh, short sales, I was working real estate full time during the short sale era. And the first thing I would do is people would have these huge piles of unopened envelopes. And we'd just be like, okay, let's open the mail. Let's just put it all out on the table. And I believe any business, if you don't put it all out on the table and aren't really transparent around where you are today and where you're trying to get to, even in a successful business, there's always an undercurrent that's slowly eroding away if you don't have those conversations. That's right. So, um, yeah, so that's my advice in terms of how we start. And then we just look at um, what, what I teach now is four principles. We work with the freedom fundamentals, which is a lot like cash flow quadrant. Mm -hmm. I do it, we do it, they do it is probably the most common way people talk about that. Uh, then I help people understand behavior and emotion. So, emotional intelligence is a huge language now and uh, behavior is just your natural wiring you know i know i'm wired with a lot of drive and i don't mind taking a lot of risk and going it alone whereas other people want a little more security they're going to go at a little more of a team pace rather than an individual pace so helping leaders or family members understand that about their family or business owners around who they bring into their world is is foundationally very important for your freedom fundamentals and uh, and then we just talk about talent 
you know, you have to have the right people doing the right things at the right time and uh, expectation. And then from there, uh, exponential leadership, how to teach people to go from being a technician in their business to actually leading others. So that's uh, very similar to what I did within the Keller Williams model, because that's what Gary Keller teaches, right? His, his idea way back in 2004 was this book called The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, where he literally just documented all the systems and models for lead generation, organization, compensation, accountability. And so every small business, every business of every size, the teams within there function in the same way. Mm -hmm. All right, so I'm going to jump in. Please. And uh, I, I want to go back a bit more to the beginning. So why did you choose Keller Williams as opposed to another uh, real estate franchise? Or So fundamentally, Keller Williams is an interdependent model. And uh, interdependent versus a broker who just hang their license and then every agent cashes out a little bit of their commission to the broker. The interdependent model is that you profit share, you share uh, part of your revenue with the franchise model, and then you share part of your revenue with your investor group. And then you share part of your revenue back to the agents who are part of your company. So it's very interdependent in that the agents, when they help your company, when they build teams that are successful, they're helping. So I know my stomach does that too sometimes. The, um, the, the foundation of who Keller Williams is as a company has that culture of giving. They have a uh, belief system. What they, what they refer to, they just modified it, but it was called the Y4C2Ts, which is this concept of win-win or no deal and community and community, like a lot of the pieces that I kind of foundationally believe in. And so when you look at a Keller Williams franchise, even to the extent of Gary Keller as the founder, he gives back to the company, you know, roughly $100 million a year in profit is being generated on the owner side. It's probably higher than that. I haven't followed the numbers for a couple of years. There's around $140 million that was being given back through the profit share system to the agents in the company. And I know that number has now exceeded a billion dollars since the company was founded. So. I shared earlier my background in working with nonprofits, the idea of community and participating and understanding that as you build a business, you're going to need other people to come in. And so we are, as a company, structured to help people understand that, like um, the idea that no one succeeds alone and that by delegating, you're leveraging your time and have the ability to do greater things as an individual um, or as what you might call the rainmaker by delegating out all the other tasks. So the Keller Williams model was very refined to those points. Um, and then now with the uh, era of technology, they've really launched um, AI tools, Facebook tools, Google tools, all of this into the franchise model so that the agents, without having to go study all of these social media pieces from their CRM can communicate out and then that the tools themselves do things like scrub social media to say, hey, it's Fred's birthday today. Make sure you pick up the phone and call him. Now, I may not have had that in my database, but it saw it on Facebook. So it would flag me to say, hey, you should know this, that November 25th is Fred's birthday. 
That's awesome. Do you think that, um, I mean, obviously you've told us a lot about that and, and I really appreciate the fact that some of your personal value to line up with the values of Keller Williams, but in terms of the culture, you know, um, I think whether it's a franchise or whether it's, um, well, geez, even I'm thinking McDonald's and that's the franchise, right? Um, do you find that local cultures play well in kind of the overall nationwide culture of Keller Williams? Do you find that they're all pretty consistent based on what Mr. Keller has put forward? Or do you see differences from market to market? Yeah, I, I think because it is a competitive industry, uh, some areas play nice and other areas are much more um, ruthless between their own offices, for lack of a nicer way to put it. Uh, also, as somebody who I literally went out and raised the capital and started the business, so I was handpicking who I was getting into business with at the beginning, and we had similar values. And so as we grow within that similar value circle, the other offices that we could really partner with would, would be of the same ilk. And those could be local, or they could be across the state, or they could be you know, in North Carolina across the country. And so what I learned is that it's a national brand with at the time about 300 offices that I could find you know, a top 10 list of people I really wanted to be in business with. Naperville, Illinois has a great office. Uh, love the team that's out in Chicago. Wonderful people, super giving of their time. Great growth, this woman, Karen uh, Paul, that's out in there. Uh, she, they have multiple offices. Yeah, they take that same approach that I took of making sure everybody rises to their ability. And when you approach business that way, people tend to exceed their expectations. And by exceeding their expectations, everybody wins at a higher level. Mm -hmm. So that, that was, uh, it sounded a little sweet when it could have gone a lot sour in terms of the, the culture piece, but definitely uh, still people. And fundamentally, you got to get along with the people and you want to grow your people. Uh, within the model, and I'm sure even to McDonald's, you know, there are people who own multiple branches, and they have a really cool culture, and uh, some that maybe not so much. And right. with right, absolutely, that we'll go and take a commercial. Uh, Ray, as you know, what spot did we end up on on Feedspot's list of top 20 pod franchise podcasts? that you must listen to in 2020, even though we're almost done with 2020, what spot did we land? We landed in the number In the number one spot. We want to thank Feedspot again for doing that. Uh, we hope to be submitting more news about the um, new million dollar franchisee mentoring program. So make sure you watch Feedspot for news. And now word from our first sponsor. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, ad placement, and customer data intelligence, 
We'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a Y dot com. Michelle, uh, happy Thanksgiving, folks. We're going back to the interview. And we're back. Ray, I believe you got the next question. Sure. Um, Joseph, you used the word emotional intelligence. I, I, I use that word a lot. And I think it's uh, one of the things that uh, a business entrepreneur and owner and franchise person, whether you're a franchise or a franchisee, really needs to have because you will be, you know, with emotional intelligence, I think you'll get a lot farther. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, you know, I, I have a feeling that you picked the franchise at the beginning uh, to match uh, your ethos and uh, as well as uh, other things down the road. Um, do you feel that's uh, something that's very important? It is, and part of understanding your own behavior, like one of the first tools that before I applied for the franchise, they had me go through what they called an AVA, Activity Vector Analysis. Sounds very scientific. Uh, it's very Jungian in theory. You know, it's about shooting words, words dictate some of your natural behavioral wiring. And so in that meeting, what I realized is what I was really enjoying about everything is that process had to agree with me foundationally we would proceed and every business owner it's almost like doing yoga where you just have to stop everything and focus otherwise you're going to fall over or put yourself in a pretzel you can't get out of mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, the idea of emotionally intelligent people is that you're actually paying attention to what's going on around exactly yeah. and, you know and if you're not you're basically a bulldozer clearing the forest you know, using mm -hmm. what's behind your head there in this, in this image. And, um, and that idea of creating and doing it in a way that recognizes people are different and you have to communicate with them at their level, at their speed, and if yeah. you're lucky, at the right time. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is the, the greatest part about any business. And uh, franchises are even easier. I shouldn't say are easier. It becomes easier within a franchise model because somebody's already cleared the path once before, that when you get the right people with the right attitude working together, things should go more smoothly. That's, that's absolutely true. Absolutely. Yeah. So and, what, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, even in times of trial, you know, like right now where we're dealing with uh, COVID over the last, well, I guess at this point, it's been 10 months of this whole pandemic is the teams, you know, just like the four of us have never sat in a room together, yet we can have a great conversation. And mm -hmm. if had the opportunity to meet people face-to-face -face and are still pursuing a goal together, that idea of recognizing, you know, Fred is in a place that's beautiful and warm and he can get out inside and go for a walk this Thanksgiving, whereas you guys may be bundled up because the snow is falling or it's icy. And uh, so that may wear on you a certain amount whereas Fred's going to be as chipper as ever. So just, you know, just recognizing what you, <laughs> what you uh, expect and what might come of it. 
Well, uh, you know, uh, Fred and I banter back and forth about the weather. I, I, I tell, I tell, I tell Fred he doesn't have weather. You don't no. have weather. No. We have. I weather. live in San Diego. Yeah, <laughs> San Diego doesn't have weather. We have weather, and uh, I really enjoy the change in, in the temperature, the change in the weather. You know, uh, I can't wait for the first snow. I think it's beautiful. Kristen's probably saying no. <laughs> no, no. I've yeah. got plans to get the heck out of here. My dream is to be a snowbird. That's my plan. Hey, beautiful when it's white and what? fresh snow. However, in Chicago, three months there later, it's still on the ground. It's as hard as a diamond and it's black. So it's, it's, it's <laughs> yourself yeah. by falling onto it. That's yeah, Mark. That's the snurt. The snurt we talked about, right? Right, right. So take us out of pillars of weather. So Joseph, oops. yes, exactly. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your decision to co to completely get out of Keller Williams versus becoming maybe more of a an absentee owner. Do they provide that opportunity? We've been talking Ray and I a lot about um, you know how you transition from being an active owner to being maybe more absent, and then eventually being just the the, the person that gets the residual checks at the end of the month as part of your retirement plan. So can you tell us a little bit about that and what you had to do to get ready for the big transition? Sure. So like most plans, they don't always work out the way you intend them to. So my original plan was to be more of a passive team member of the organization. But uh, foundationally, the culture of the people I was getting into business with is a different energy and a different focus than what I wanted to put my energy into. And so my wife, the woman who ran the office with me, uh, we formed a real estate team to continue the Keller Williams real estate side of things. So we're still a member of Keller Williams, just in a different franchise model. And then because of the profit share side of it, we still received passive income from that and from other businesses that we created while we had the franchise. Uh, but for that specific office location, we separated uh, ownership from a legal perspective, you know, what you call shares or stock. Mm -hmm. But it allows you to still, is that through a, a stock program so, that you still have residuals and things? I'm a little right, confused. Right, so the profit sorry. share model is a vesting three-year plan. I think they may have just modified it. I honestly haven't read it because I'm already vested. But if you were to be a new member of Keller Williams, um, there's something called profit share. And that pertain to any location in our system and internationally as well. So we're in other countries. If, if you tell me Kristen's through with Chicago, I'm moving to Italy and you want to work in real estate, I can hook you up with our Italian broker in um, France or down in you know, um, Indonesia. We have brokerages. And if you go there and you're successful and I'm the person you mentioned referred you, I become part of what they call your profit share tree, which has seven levels. It's not quite like an MLM, uh, right? but it is a defined seven levels of distribution of profit. Okay. And so over time being in the company uh, and bringing other people into it, you can receive you know, five figures a year. The people who've been with the company since its inception have six figure checks every year just from starting Keller Williams back in the late 90s. Okay, interesting. That's very interesting. So it almost behooves you, even as you move 
out of the model to continue to uh, mentor and help those that you referred, right? I mean, it really kind of keeps you tied in. Right. Well, it's, it, again, it's part of that culture of giving back and mm -hmm. that as you're helping everybody grow and thrive, you're also getting a little reward. So the, the profit share is not a huge amount of money because they have to clear it. They have to first be profitable. Right. Is, you know, the number one goal. And then yeah. from there, you know, your, your share of that might be, uh, you know, $10, $100, $1,000 a month, but still, you, know, you got to put a lot of money in the bank at 1% interest to get $1,000 a month back. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Very interesting. Thank you. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that goes to Fred's question of why Keller Williams, because when you start to look at the whole model, Gary Keller really wanted to create a company where people wouldn't want to leave as they started building a business. And there are some virtual companies that compete with Keller Williams now that agents left and drew into and have grown. Mm -hmm. One called EXP, and that's a franchise model that has no physical location. So uh, in one of my careers, I worked for Gateway Computers and Gateway versus Dell. Dell never built and took leases on hundreds of locations. So their profit was always much higher than mm -hmm. Gateway. Right, and uh, Keller Williams, likewise, we had, I had $9,000 a month in lease payments mm -hmm. when I ran the office. And if I was an EXP broker, I wouldn't have 9,000, that's $100,000 a year going to lease instead yeah. in this virtual world. Yeah. So, uh, Dell. Well, I'm sure that also becomes, um... go ahead. No. Go ahead, Ray. All right. So I was just—I didn't know. Uh, You—you you mentioned that you were involved in the electronics industry, consumer packaging, and give us a, a, just a little bit of uh, how you were involved in these industries. Because I was involved in the electronics industry uh, on two different occasions, and I got kind of got burned on it a little bit because <laughs> it evolved. Let's put it that way. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I know from going to CES, there's a lot of dynamic things always happening. Mm -hmm. So early on, I worked for a company called Tegrity. And mm -hmm. Tegrity was one of the first distance learning companies based out of San Jose. Mm -hmm. and, um, literally, at that time, we didn't have the technology we have now even just in our cell phones. Mm -hmm. Working with projectors, it was working with laptops, it was working with video cameras. And that all with technology these guys had, 28K dial-up to do distance learning, and it would stream audio and video through PowerPoint, and you mm -hmm. could write on a whiteboard, and it would capture everything in there. So this was my early on exposure to the electronic side. Mm -hmm. But so getting to know what a projector was, what it, why it was doing what it was doing, and then understanding that as I left that company and went to Gateway, we mm -hmm. had started seeing tablet computers. So they got rid of a lot of those other extreme. I used to have a cart that I would roll into a client and show them how this works. And I worked with LA Unified School Districts, I worked with CB Richard Ella, different education companies. Um, and so it was, it was entertaining for me because mm -hmm. I like to learn new things to see this electronics evolution. And then also to go from a 28K to a broadband and see how that pipe expanded and then also processing speed. So being exposed to all of that, I, I sort of followed that course on the electronic side. Uh, mm -hmm. The CPG world, I've currently coached people that have um, like vitamin capsules 
one guy has a Kratom company, which is a supplement that's sort of like a, um, people use it for focus. It's a derivative of a coffee plant. Mm -hmm. And so literally taking him from working in his garage to he's now purchasing a 7,000 square foot warehouse and going from like $20,000 a month to $250,000 a month in sales. And so just living that experience with him and teaching him the principles of leadership, because he started with, I love this product. I'm going to have other people buy this product. Mm. Now he has to hire six guys to run encapsulating machines, packaging, shipping, receivables, payables, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, to finish the resume part of what I was doing, I graduated from UCSD years ago, and I, I provide or volunteer time to talk to graduate students that have ideas that they want to launch companies out of, and, oh, wow. they, and they get angel funding for that. Yeah. And so, yeah. That is so cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And so teaching so, them those things. Go ahead, Fred. So I want to go back to something. You said 28.8 modems? Yeah, you remember? Well, yeah, I remember the 300 and 1200 baud modems. So I'd be more impressed if you said 1200 baud or 2400 baud. 28.8 was speedy, fast. Yeah. My first hey, modem was a 300 baud modem. But imagine, imagine today with all these schools on virtual learning, the, the distant learning of years ago compared to what they have to have today and the amount of people getting on there and then working from home, I can't even comprehend what you may have been going through back then compared to today. It took a lot of patience, that's for sure. Yeah. The copper telephone wires would be melting about now. <laughs> <laughs> so that funny, funny, quick funny story. My daughter is a teacher. Um, she's been teaching at home. And about two months ago, I got a call. I'm tech support which is kind of weird because usually the grandparents are never tech support, but she was relating her discussions in, uh, I think it was one of the like Target or someplace else where they'd gotten their initial uh, internet connection and they were upgrading it. She was talking to the young uh, salesperson and she made, she used the phrase, I remember what it was like when you uh, to connect up to the internet, you had to, you heard sound and, the tech said, oh, yeah, DSL was really slow. And she looked at him and said, I'm sorry, I meant actual sound. You had to have a modem. Would you please go get me an adult <laughs> who I can talk to who knows what they're talking about? Ah, yes, sir. She, she learned well from her father. Go ahead. I just wanted to relate that story. That one always cracks me up. Yeah. Since we're talking about old technology. Yeah. Hey, Kristen. <laughs> Well, you want, I'm certainly not the one to uh, ask about technology because it's, but I, but what I will tell you I've enjoyed about um, your journey, kind of hearing it today, is how um, you seem to have that giving back at your core well before um, Keller Williams, well before a lot of these different jobs. And I think we were also talking before you came on about people who make decisions based maybe on emotions or their heart versus, you know, their finances. Mm -hmm. And I think it's great uh, for people who are out there thinking about a franchise. You have to be realistic with what you have for financing. I mean, we just know that that's, you have to have that. But I think really, if you can look at what drives you, 
What is at your core? What do you believe in? And then find franchises or companies that match that. I think you'll be much happier. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, especially when the times are stressful because you know you can keep pushing through it because it has a bigger purpose than just- Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that's great. You've been able to continue to do that. And it sounds like with your newest adventure, um, I, in my mind, call it team building, right? Because that's what we used to call it back in the day when I was in training and development. And uh, it's amazing how many people have never gone through on how to get along well with others and how to build teams. And so I think that's a really interesting journey that you've had going from, you know, way back into making sure everyone had, you know, the food, the shelter, the, the water, things of that nature to where you are today. So very interesting. Yeah, and to Ray's point, when we talk about emotional intelligence earlier, um, foundationally, when we talk about team, just starting a conversation, just saying, hey, we're gonna build a team. Like the number one thing, like um, people think about ropes courses and trust falls and all this other um, more, movement and movement is great i think it's it unlocks a lot of neuroplasticity which is a whole other podcast topic to have uh but okay. the, yeah i'd love to see fred say that like 50 times throughout an hour the um but the idea of building trust means everybody has a voice and we just do this little circle when i where we go okay so to build trust you have to have a voice you also have to give people space because everybody's wired a little bit differently to voice themselves and you have to have some flexibility based on what you hear. And from that flexibility, you create the buy-in that goes and builds the trust. And mm -hmm. so that little circle, absolutely simple circle. And if you can get people to just slow down and remember, Hey, I have other people besides me in my world and I maybe haven't heard them lately, you know, that voice part. And especially during these trying times and during this holiday season where people really want to get together, but maybe they just know they physically can't. You gotta let them express it and uh, and be part of it, and, yeah, and have gratitude and a big hat. Yeah, Cubby uses the term emotional bank account, mm -hmm. which I really like because it, it is a bank account that you build up with other people, and the, the, the more times they catch you telling the truth, the more trust, the more they trust you, and of mm -hmm. course that works the other way as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Adam Grant has a never, talks a lot about that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we look at Fred's background. <laughs> yeah, you know what time it is. It is, isn't it? Down the rabbit hole. Brought to you by one of Joseph's own comments. So we're going down the official intelligence rabbit hole today. <laughs> Since you mentioned AI being in all kinds of tools and things like that. What will you tell the artificial intelligence overlord that ends up taking over on why they need to have real estate franchisors in existence since most artificial intelligences don't really care about houses? Uh, artificial intelligence doesn't buy houses, people buy houses. And <laughs> But they don't need people anymore because it's all AI. Yeah. Well, unless we don't inhabit the planet, we still need a place to sleep. Get to store all those bodies somewhere. 
There you go. Yeah. In Fred's world, it's zombies, right? That's the other rabbit hole question. So we could have blended how will AI help zombies buy houses? Oh, they, right. We're like the Matrix. We generate heat from our bodies. <laughs> right. Alien invasions and how will it, but no, we only, he said AI, we're going to stay with AI there. So, all yeah. right, great. Ray, we finished off the uh, down the rabbit hole question. So go ahead and your famous last question. Okay, so uh, we've learned a lot from you, Joseph, and I think people may have a lot of questions uh, regarding what you what you do and everything. So if that's the case, how is the best way for our audience to get a hold of you? Certainly. So electronically, my name is Joseph J O S E P H at Bergflow B E R G L O W dot com. Berg like the mountain you're going to overcome and flow like the state of flow when you're doing what you should be doing and loving it. All right. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, that information will be available on our website after Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, probably before, but yeah, yeah it will be. <laughs> so, All right, folks. Fantastic guest. Thank you, Joseph. Thanks, Ray. Thank you. Very inspiring. Good to meet you both. Happy Thanksgiving, well. everyone. And we'll see you next week on another weird episode of Pillars of Franchising with Ian <laughs> <Nine laughs> Hat. Bye, all. The Franchise Woman is a bi-monthly digital magazine that empowers women as they navigate the franchising industry by providing relevant news, tools, advice, and inspiration. We are a resource for women who are seeking to own their own businesses, improve their existing businesses, find creative solutions, and take advantage of franchise opportunities. We feature women in the business who best exemplify our ideals and have something to teach our readers. In addition to our exclusive articles relating to the female entrepreneur, we also feature brands that are geared for women. Women have become the fastest growing sector in business ownership and have become a powerful, influenceable force fueling the economy. The Franchise Woman will give you the news that is relevant to you to help you navigate the path of successful franchise ownership. By women, for women, and about women, we are The Franchise Woman. Join us today at www.thefranchisewoman.com. Thank you.